Welcome to the Atheist Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Kelly. Atheist is where we will explore American cultural trends through the lenses of a devout theist and a devout atheist. We will discuss the messiness of being human, the latest in social science, psychology, and American culture, and what any of it has to do with Homo sapiens' longtime preoccupation with religion. Here we're back for episode two, I guess, right? Yeah, the first one went on a little long, so if you <laughs> if you stuck through it and you're back for more, we, thank here, you. Here we are. Yeah, thank you. Here we are, Kelly and Aaron. Um, hey, Aaron. Hey, Kelly. Hey. Um, so today we're going to talk about awe, the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life. The book by Docker Keltner. Um. Yeah, so I'm super excited about this conversation. I have I have so many thoughts, but let's just start. I'm going to define awe uh, according to Keltner. So awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends our current understanding of the world. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time. Yeah. Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your current understanding of the world. So let me just start by asking you, Aaron, um, how does that resonate with you and your sense of understanding of the metaphysics of, like, the world? Yeah. That's not a small question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Just a small one to start I was with. Like, throw this out this this softball. It'll be. <laughs> Sorry. Really... I mean, I mean, as a theist, can you buy that? Do you buy or as an as a as an atheist, do you buy that definition that that there's transcendence and vastness and that it can lead to a a better understanding of the world? Yeah, I think th- I don't think those things are in, incompatible. Yeah. Right. So. I think you can experience vastness in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. and, 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 and therefore like experience, right. That transcendence, but the, the, va- that vastness, I think, I think nature is a good example, right. Mm-hmm. That where that comes into play, right. You, you feel that space, um, you know, when you, like when I see a mountain range and you feel the smallness of being in the presence mm-hmm. of that, or, you go out to the country, which is where I grew up, right? And you're mm-hmm. under this brilliantly starry sky and you're like, I'm just this little speck, right? And all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, being in front of the ocean. Like there's just like so many powerful forces in nature mm-hmm. that are there to remind you that you are such a small thing. In yeah. the, in, 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 and it's a humbling in a way that is important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when we talked last time about some of the things that we worry about with contemporary culture, I think uh, a scholar that I think has been really important in the last decade is a woman named Jean Twangy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wrote a book called The the Narcissism, Narcissism Epidemic. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that are the digital overlay that has accompanied our life, I, I think this, it predates the digital overlay, but the digital o- overlay sort of has like exploded this but is that you know everybody's personal brand or that they're they're that everything is about them right mm-hmm. that's how they sort of see the world and that's 
that is one of the things that's that's antithetical, I think, to experiencing awe because to to experience awe is to know that it's not all about you. Yeah. Like it's like taking off that that um, cloak of self consciousness mm-hmm. and self righteousness and um, self obsession that mm-hmm. I think that our our capitalistic culture and our you know, intertwined with that digital overlay encourages like, and that's one of the things I think that what that young people are struggling with is like, well, you know, maybe some people are saying, Hey, this is how you experience the good life, right? Like be in situations where you get to experience awe. But then like another part of their culture is like, you know, take this, these photos of yourself on the mountain and post them on Instagram so that everyone can be jealous of the fact that you were on the mountain. Right. And so like totally just has to defeat the experience of awe. Right. (laughs) Bingo. Bingo. So yeah, no, I I have to be, I am a little guilty of. I, I, I think, it's it's hard to not be right. right. Like I think it's it is um, that we are designed as the, a human animal mm-hmm. to not want to be kind of going back to my upbringing, right, and mm-hmm. that desire to not be o- ostracized from mm-hmm. your community. Yeah, and why? Like why do we not want to be ostracized from our community? Because we because we are are actually pack animals mm-hmm. um that what does that mean if you are if you are on the outside of the herd what does that mean you're the most likely to you're get gonna killed. die yeah so we are we we Which desire. is what in our nervous system right is the feeling of overwhelm right yeah. Yeah. And when we feel overwhelmed when we feel anxious we like in our bodies feel like we're gonna die yeah yeah. Yeah. Whether or not that's and yeah, so it's so not now, logically true, so, right? But, so it's like now it's not the lion on the savanna or whatever that's like right. trying to kill me. That it's like an actual threat of death. Now you you have this biological response to things that like you're like what? like this is not actually a threat, but it feels like a threat. Yes. So I actually my wife was saying this the other day because she's like has all these um, patients that come in with I think pots is the is the is the term and I. I don't know, Justin, if you want to look it up, what the, the actual clinical like phrases, but she was like, when I was trained as, as a doctor, like mm-hmm. it's, this is one of those psychosomatic things, but it actually causes mm-hmm. people real physiological yeah. problems. Yeah. And she's like, this is like not real. Like, what is this? Right. And yeah. so what, what is it? It's a mind body disorder. Really? But she's like, this is a mind body disorder because it is a condition with both psychological and physiological and psychological symptoms that are caused in part by abnormal release of chemical mediators known as neurotransmitters in the brain and other parts of the body. And so people are coming in with pain? Yeah. like you, psychosomatic. You, yes, correct, correct. And she was like, she was saying to me, she goes, you know, it's almost like people are having an allergic reaction to mm-hmm. uh, our current culture in a way, right? Wow. Like you're, 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 System like in a, in a way it's like oh my god I've never experienced this this novel like thing yes. and my uh, immune system is reacting it's like attacking its my own body because it doesn't know how to respond to like what it's encountering and that I think is what is going on like there's this certain level like when we think that look at all these rates of depression anxiety blah 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 it's it has to do with almost like an over response of the immune system to something that like we are not biologically conditioned to so what Keltner would say in his book is that. When, okay, so there's the default system, right? And the default, there's like a neurological name for it. But the default self 
is a, the self that we need in order to exist in the world, in order to get a job, in order to get from my house to the grocery store. You know, like we need the default system in order to function. Yeah. But when the default self becomes uh, the only or the overriding self, when we don't have time to allow for silence and stillness and conversation and walking in the woods and these things that we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, what happens is we get anxious, we get depressed, and, and there's this override, right? And so it is 100% physical, 100% yeah. psychological, and it is the actual um, – what Keltner would say is the vagus nerve that allows our bodies to regulate and to get back to a place of openness and calm and, you know, a place where we can experience the world in a, in a balanced way. Yeah. And awe is one of the things that gets us there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just got a, a, a memo from our producer. So it's a <laughs> postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome oh and that's what God. she was saying she, it was it's your your heart literally like, they, i mean it's, yes. measu it's measurable like you are actually having yes. like an episode like yes. a physiological episode because our vagus nerve okay and yeah. which uh i i highly i'm we're gonna cross reference here please go to on being and listen to the episode of krista tippett interviewing dr keltner um he well, actually, he doesn't call it this. Actually, Resma Menicum, who wrote my grandmother's hands, who writes about uh, generational trauma and generational racial trauma, he calls the vagus nerve our soul nerve. And so the vagus nerve goes from the 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 root of our brain all the way down our spine into our from our heart into our heart into our in, all the way down in, through our organs into our bellies where it interacts with our like microorganisms in our bellies. So this this nerve like affects everything. Yeah. Right. And so and the fact that that our psychological state affects our bodies. Yeah. We are embodied people. And like, this is how we're created. Yeah. Like it's yeah. kind of astonishing. Right. And so of course people are coming in with psychosomatic symptoms. And, and I don't even know, like is psychosomatic actually like, is that redundant? Like mm. our psycho is somatic. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Right. You're right. just coming in with somatic symptoms. Yeah. They might be psych psychologically triggered, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's craziness. It is. Well, so so what you were saying before um, about the... the like, awe. Be, yeah, awe. And also, but like being able to be in stillness and then yes. with other people in nature yes. and experience awe. So the the way that you phrase that is, is perfection, which is uh, Henry David Thoreau in The Three yes. Chairs. Yes. So it which is... Which he has a whole chapter in here about. Does he really? Okay. Yes. I haven't... I have the book, but I haven't finished it. I, I think I've only listened to them maybe like the first... Yeah. Um, 
two or three chapters. So you're you're ahead of me. But the um, so this concept. So I read about it in uh, there's an MIT professor named Sherry Turkle who writes about that in her book called Reclaiming Conversation as a as a way as conversation as sort of a healing yes. space, right? Yes. And so her her contention was that you know she te- obviously teaches at MIT, which is a tech technology school. Yeah. Um, but certainly was and, and this book I think she published in 2015. So even kind of ahead of, you know, our contemporary yes. like, oh wow, this has turned into a dumpster fire. She sort of saw like, hey, this is gonna this turn, is gonna in, turn, turn into, into a, a dumpster fire. fire. And and um so but her thing was the way that she frames the book is is on this concept of the three chairs. So that technology disrupts our ability to really attend to any of these well. And and so the first is solitude. So the solitude as in the joy of being alone as mm-hmm. opposed to the the pain of being alone. Uh, and, and if we live with, if we're plugged in all the time, we never create any space for quiet contemplation, mm-hmm. right? Like we're always listening to something or mm-hmm. uh, scrolling something. Like we're never just unplugged being, being just existing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and actually that, the, that, the most creative thinking comes when we're not plugged into yeah. something. It's kind of why like people are always like, Oh, I have this great idea in the shower. Right. Yeah. Because I'm not for like a second, right. my mind is wandering. And if you don't give time for your mind to wander, it doesn't make these like connections yeah. in your from your subconscious. So, and she's like, so if you, if people can't be alone, like they're fucked, like they can't, they, if they, if you can't be alone, that means that you cannot be with other people well, and therefore you cannot be with in society well, yep. which are the other two chairs. So second chair is companionship as the, defi- our friendship, right? Which is friend, friend, mm-hmm. um, family, romantic partner. And then the last chair is society. So which she sort of articulates as educational spaces, workspaces, mm-hmm. and like the, the culture at large. Yeah. So if you, but it all sort of is like the, that, that our relationship tech to technology is disrupting all of those chairs, like yeah. our ability. And she said, if there's a fourth chair, when that's what Thoreau would say, the fourth chair is to take, once he felt like we've had a conversation that fills all the chairs, let's mm-hmm. go out into nature and take a walk. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so to find that, that space mm-hmm. of, of awe. I love that. So, so these things that you're talking about, so, as a theist, right, and from my theistic perspective. So what I was taught um, is this idea of revelation, right? Like we, we, we have revelation from God. We, God reveals God's self through certain things and that our, our primary way that God reveals God's self is through the Bible, right, and through stories, through these storytellings. But special revelation is nature, and so we know, we we understand that there is some kind of primary mover because we walk and we see the vastness of the ocean and we see the vastness of a cornfield and we see the, the intricacies of the root structures of a tree, that that brings us to that. So it's, inter- you know, I think it's interesting that these things are, you know, compatible and um, and that example too of the of these chairs, there's also a very uh, kind of iconic image of the Trinity, which you know mm. the God, the Son, and mm-hmm, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where there's these kind of three ch- there's these uh, 
it's an icon uh, where there's these chairs and then there's an empty chair. And it's, you know, God, the Son, you know, Christ, and um, and then the Spirit, and then there's an empty chair, you know, kind of for you hmm. as being at the table. So I think it's interesting that these yeah, images yeah, are yeah. these kind of, perhaps these kind of Jungian, right, archetypal images of, like, what is important, you know, community, conversation, stillness, authenticity, connection. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the heart of what those of what all of these philosophies are trying to to get at, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that is um, how, how do we live in a way that we have meaning and purpose? Mm -hmm. And that's, that is the heart of, you know, we talk about like living the good life or like, you know, living mm -hmm. a good life that, and I think that, that our, that our current culture misses the mark on, mm -hmm. which is, and some of this is that that grinding capitalism mm -hmm. that we referenced before, but is this desire to I got I have to be happy all the time. Yeah. And like toxic positivity, <laughs> right? As opposed to like a common good, which is which might which which my happiness might have to be, you know, circumvented for the common good. Yeah. Right. And we we don't we no longer we don't think about that. Well it, so what I was going to say, that's, that is very true. That's very true. No, we don't. And we're a very, we talked about earlier, like rugged individualism mm -hmm. as like uh, a key ethos of American, American culture. culture. And so that, that in and of itself sort of is, is antithetical to one of the ways that we experience awe, which is it being in community. community. But the, I think the, that relentless pursuit of, of happiness or the, the chase of like the dopamine hit, mm -hmm. right, is also sort of antithetical to that. Because you, when we think about the, the neurotransmitters that make us happy, right, mm -hmm. uh, dopamine is a selfish reward system right. where Whereas serotonin and oxytocin are communal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you. I have a friend who just told me that um, her therapist told her that. She needed to forego the dopamine for the oxytocin. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you need to start getting that commun that community, yeah. you know, hit as opposed to the yeah. the dopamine hit. Which which and here's the other the other part of that that I wanted to say, which was the that happiness, the chase of the of happiness. happiness. It it misses the mark because what actually what a good a good life is actually the chase or the you know the embodiment of trying to live a life of meaning and purpose, yes. which you actually get from not being happy all the time. Like you can't, 100%. You, you can't get, yes, yes, yes. I'm <laughs> clapping. I'm applauding. I'm going to stand up. If, if yes, if I wouldn't go off mic, I would be standing up right yeah. now. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like you, the, the, the things that give you meaning and purpose are the yeah. things that are hard. Yes. Like there are the things that, if anybody else could do it, then like it wouldn't be something that like means anything, right? right? It's 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 the things that are like, you know, think about like raising children. I mean, we've both ra raised mm -hmm. children, so raising children not is, fun is hard. It's not fun. It's hard. It's not it's hard. fun. <laughs> I mean, it can be fun at times. Yeah, but. there are moments. There are, there are moments, but it it is it's hard. Yes, and but the hard is what makes it great. If yes. it, if it wasn't hard, like any yes. you know, everybody would do it. So that's the. Um, but, but I think you can apply that. I think, you know, people who are parents get that, but the, that you can apply that to a lot of things, right? Yeah. You know, if someone who is, is writes a book, like 
it's 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 fucking hard, right? Yeah. It's hard, and it takes discipline and effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anything that's really meaningful takes discipline and, yeah. and, and a lot of effort and it's not easy, yep. but that's what makes it great. The heart is what makes it great. So I'm going to, it's going to, you're going to get sick of me quoting Roar, but I'm going to quote, quote Roar a lot because he's, yeah, he's been your, my teacher for, for a while. But, um, so one of the things he says is that like the, the things that stir transformation, the things that are the, the impetus for transformation in our lives are great love and great suffering. Yeah. And and the things that this the suffering that we don't transform, we transmit, right? So it's not just suffering in and of itself as suffering, right? Like I don't want to idealize suffering, but when suffering, when we take suffering and when we can transform it um, and learn from it and grow from it. Um, not in a, I'm optimizing myself and I'm becoming better and, you know, but like, this is really changing me. Yeah. Then we have something to offer somebody else, right? We have something to offer our community and we're wiser for it. Um, yeah, it's, that's a, that's really powerful. I think that's a part that's, that's, and it's true. I mean, it's, it, it really is like those, and those are the things that, that shake us out of the the passivity of life that I yeah. think often often sort of happens, right? Yeah. It's like Yeah. I don't want to be just to like I don't want to just like receive what comes. Like, you know, I don't I don't want to be a victim. Yeah. Right. And and suffering is not about victimhood. Suffering is about like this has happened and how do I metabolize this? And um and and be transformed by it. And you know, we're in a season right now. We just this past week is Ash Wednesday, and we're in a season of Lent. And um, and Lent, you know, I never grew up kind of really practicing Lent. Lent was always like a. Did you grow up practicing Lent? We did. Yeah. Did you get? Did you you did Fish Fridays? I sure did Fish Fridays, and you know, got the ashes on the forehead and did, the yeah. whole. The did you whole... get? Did you usually give something up? Yeah. We were supposed to give something. I don't even remember. Did you? I, yeah, I'm sure I did, but I don't remember what it was. Yeah. So um, I don't know. We always try to – now we're always like, okay, we're going to be – I mean, this isn't like a Lent thing, but we're like, let's be a vegan for a month or let's right. be a vegetarian for right. a month or whatever. Which is, yeah. again, this idea of like optimizing, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to try on this discipline yeah. for a month, right? Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, that's not really what it's about. And there's a great Thomas Merton quote um, about – Lent is about preparing our hearts to be loved for the Easter season, right? And in preparing our hearts to be loved, we have to let go of anything that can't exist in the same room with mercy. So just think about that. What can't exist in the same room with mercy? So, you know. What can't exist in the same room with mercy? What do you Resentment, yeah. anger, judgment. You know, so it's not gluten, right? So this is this is what I wrote about this week. It's not gluten. It's not like wine. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of you know, I I'm not a giver upper, so I don't yeah. do a lot of that. But um, but I have a friend who just told me she's like, I'm giving up junk thoughts for Lent, and I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's and good. It's like resentment on herself, right? And and you know, again, we've talked about, and we'll probably reference a lot of like twelve steppy things, but like. When you let go of those of those things that kind of keep us from 
feeling the things that are really going on, you know, yeah. those things that distract us. Like if I were to actually give up my phone, which my husband would love me to do, I'm sure I would be really, really uncomfortable. Right? Yeah, t- yeah, you'd have to go through like a literal oh a like, detox. Like men- yeah, because you're you're all it of- serves something for me. Yeah, yeah, and so there would be suffering in my life during Lent if I did not look at my phone. Yeah, and in that space of suffering, um, mercy would be there. Yeah, and and there would be some kind of I don't know sense of uh, ministering, if I'm using kind of yeah. those words, to that suffering so that when Easter comes, I can like receive that love that is there. Yeah. So I'm talking kind of some spiritual shit here. but Yeah, no, that's that's good. It's good. I mean, I think thinking about it from the, like a biological standpoint, yes. right? I, yeah. I think there is a certain level of Detox, yeah, like, yeah. Detox? No, that's like, what I'm saying. Right. It's like, it's like, it's okay, guys. Like, I mean, you think about like my, um, you know, and I think about like my wife in the emergency room, and there's you know people who are like addicts or whatever, and it's like if you're, they go through. It's like okay, this is actually going to get worse before it gets better, yes. right? And yes. that means that like you're going to have to kind of, okay, we're not going to, we're going to give this up, and it's going to feel super shitty until yep. your brain sort of stops craving the thing. Yep. Um, and but the the other side of it's going to be really important, which I think is what you're talking yeah. about, right? It's like the other side is like once I can get yeah. to the other side, then I'm actually in a space where I have capacity. I, I I'm not just like hitting my dopamine system all the time. I have the capacity to be open to ha- to to these other experiences yes. to fill fill that space. Because you know, and they'll they'll say all the time like. When you, um, you know, when you when you do things that numb yourself so that you can't feel pain, yeah. you also can't feel the positive things, right? Yeah. And again, I mean, that's this is, and here's the thing that you know, for me, neuroscience is is the the thing that supports spiritual practice for me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this actually resonates. This actually, like, I can actually, you know, chart this in my brain. Great. You know, I think that's amazing. Um, Yeah. So how about you? I think it might be interesting for people to know. So Keltner in his book, we kind of have gone off a little bit, but I love that we go off. Um, He has these eight ways that people experience awe. Yeah. Do you want to just like lay them out real quick? Yeah, I'm going to lay them out. The eight eight ways are. The eight ways are. Let me see. So, yeah, while you look for that, I'm going to give you like my, my little you know, intro on Keltner, which is that um, I know him because he has done research with Jonathan Haidt. Yes. And so Jonathan Haidt is a professor at um, NYU, um, uh, professor of psychology, and uh, he's amazing. I mean, he's written a ton of fabulous books, The Righteous Mind, The Coddling of the American Mind. Um, And uh, one of the the things that they sort of, ex- I think we're exploring together, which was, so, so height would say that homo sapien is 90% chimp, 10% bee. Yes. And what he says is like, think about the human brain as sort of like mostly chimpanzee with like a hive overlay. And that our, our hive mind is what he calls it is, is activated in spaces where there's community. So like his example that he uses in the righteous mind is like, 
religion is a team sport, I think is the name of the chapter mm-hmm. or maybe the sub subhead, right? But it's like- the It definitely si- is. Yeah, the same thing that's like, I'm in a University of Michigan football game and we're you know against Ohio State as our rival and I'm ready to murder the Ohio yes. State fan or whatever over this like game yeah. is, is our hive mind being activated. And it's like, oh, you're wearing the jersey that matches my jersey. We're a team now. And like, even though I don't even know you, yes. like we are connected in yes. some way and that there's, there is power, power in that. So it's, it kind of works that, in the same way. That yeah. line, right? That line between community being something that is so like life giving and something that is being like, it's a, it's a, it's a that tipping is, point. That yeah. is that yeah. we become like the massacre at Miley. Yeah. Yeah. Miley, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, totally. Totally. Yeah. It is. It's it it can be those things can be wielded for for good or evil yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Like the things that can it can also be something, you know, give some can be something that gives life meaning and gives yes. people a sense of meaning and purpose can also be weaponized for mass murder. Yes. Yes. Which yes. is which is which actually the other thing that was sort of interesting, there's a study that came out a couple of years ago uh that examined sort of like are primates more murderous than other species? And surprise, surprise, they are. We are, you know, we um, are. like yeah, by a pretty I'm they, they, like right? Not. Like we are, right? like we, like a, by a fairly significant margin, we are like more murderous than than yeah. other kinds of animals. It's <laughs> so interesting. I mean, that's sad. Okay, okay, I'm going to give you the eight wonders of life, but I'm also going to reference since we're talking about primates here. Yeah. Um, this, I think this is amazing. So he talks about this in the introduction. Um, so he says, why awe? Okay. So he's talking about his hero, Jane Goodall, um, who studied, you know, chimpanzees, you know, for her entire life. She believed that chimpanzees feel awe and have a sense of spirituality grounded in a capacity Goodall described as being amazed at things outside yourself. Animated by this mystery, we'll investigate where the chills, tears. Okay, he talks about this. But he, so evidently what Goodall talks about, what she found when she studied uh, chimpanzees was that there was this thing called the um, waterfall dance. So when they experienced awe in nature, which is one of the eight wonders of life, the eight ways that we experience awe, they would actually kind of create this ritual where they would dance like in the presence of this waterfall for no other reason other than to luxuriate in the awe of this amazingness. Like what? Yeah. What? Yeah. That's crazy. It's awesome. It's I, awesome, I think, right? Yeah, and that that goes back to the 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 comment that I made in the first episode, which was um, that you know we are sort of storytelling animals. storytelling animals, and the only ones as far as we know. Yeah, because I think that that as we get into this, I think you know you start to as as scientists are exploring this, we recognize that while they that animals may not have um, Twitter. 
to to <laughs> Thank God. to share their well, that to would be share funny. to share their messages <laughs> that they are in fact you know communicating with each other in very profound yeah uh, you know in perhaps storytelling yeah. kind of ways. Justin, you got a you got an antidote on oh yeah an anecdote Tell us on that that the, the short end of it is is that there is some PhD level research happening right now about whether or not whale communication instead of just being the perfunctory like hey there's food here or hey let's mate. There's off or like there's danger over there, but there might also be like long-term generational storytelling of like let me tell the next generation these stories from what I experienced growing up and that kind of stuff. Like, like oral tradition. Oral traditions maybe being passed down in cetacean whales, dolphins. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. There's some evidence that suggests that, and so I know there's there's some high-level research going into into that. I don't know the details. I'm not smart enough to understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, on a much more banal kind of level, I saw an Instagram video (laughs) yesterday of a like a little dog watching the scene from the uh, from Lion King, where you know Simba's killed and no, not Mufasa's killed, and Simba's like, I hope I'm not like. You know, I hope everybody's seen the Lion King by this point. <laughs> but like, You've ruined it. <laughs> ruined it. Yeah. But like Simba's crying, right? And like, come on, Dad, get up, right? Yeah. And there's this dog watching the movie, and the dog is just looking at the screen and just crying, yeah. like totally attentive, totally watching, and just you hear this sound of crying. And then all of a sudden Scar comes up and is like, blah, blah. and then he starts barking at Scar. And I was like, this dog... No, is literally watching the show. Is literally watching the show and reacting to it, That's... emotionally reacting to this narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, animals have got to have a sense of narrative. I, 100%. I mean, we are animals with a sense of narrative, right? Right, and th- that's it. So it's like it's it's we are. It's a should be a reminder in in this in this spirit of awe yes. that like not only yes is, that is awesome. It's, it's it's awesome, and then also like we're all also not that special and that that but that's also awesome it, it, is. it is it is because that's the thing that happens right so so before i jump okay so there's this they did this study um that he talks about in the book where he has these two groups of people so he has people that are look like that are looking at this incredible you know awesome view of, of yosemite and then he has people that are just like at like the fish market in San Francisco <laughs> or something, right? And then he has these gr- charts, these graphs that have a picture of a, a sun on the in the corner. And then he has these people after they've experienced this space, whether it's the market, San Francisco, or this view in yeah. Yosemite. And he asks them to to draw a picture of themselves and to write the word me. Well, if you look at these drawings, the people that are experiencing awe in Yosemite. Their pictures, they're, they draw themselves in super these small. super small. And their word me is like super small. And then the picture of the people looking at the fish market are like, you know, they're three times the size of the sun, you know, in, you know, in relation to the, the picture and the graph. Hmm. And so this idea of smallness, right, actually when we feel small, we feel more connected. Yeah. Which – Again, antithetical to American rugged individualism, right? It is, it is, like we have is. to let go of that. We yeah. are not big. We yeah. are not big. We yeah. will die. Yeah. 
Yeah. We are not important. Now, yeah, no, we aren't. And the the going the the question of like what are the things that I worry about in terms of American culture or the future of American culture. I think I've said this to you before, but there was this study that was done that that they uh, surveyed teenagers in China and mm -hmm. teenagers in America, and they asked them. So if you're if you're not familiar with um, TikTok, yeah. uh, so <laughs> if you've been living in a <laughs> vacuum, <laughs> um, so TikTok in China is not the same as American TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. It is is very regulated, meaning like. You know, it's there's age gatekeeping, there's time limits, and the content in and of itself is not the same. Mm -hmm. So the content is mostly well, it's like pro Chinese government, mm -hmm. and then but it's it's like science videos mm -hmm. and like educational materials, right? Mm -hmm. So in um, in America, they did a survey of American teenagers and they said, "What is your number one most aspirational career? What do, what do they say?" Influencer. Bing, bing, bing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Influencer. In China, what is the most aspirational career? Um, to be, I don't, I have no idea. Like an astronaut or a scientist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's because. I'm like, I have no idea because I don't know what's yeah. aspirational. Yeah. Yeah. yeah outside yeah. of influencer. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, my point is like the fact that like the being an influencer is the number uh, one career choice of the I'm next vomiting. generation. I mean, this this is antithetical to experiencing all yes. because to be yes. be like I'm going to be an influencer is to 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 try to make yourself big all the time. Or even if you don't think about yourself yes. in that space, make myself big all you're the time. You're in the the old Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. Yep. Yep. If I if I if I'm using Instagram as a way or whatever TikTok whatever to become an influencer, that is shaping the way that I see and experience the world. Yep. And I'm going to see and experience the world as as that I am the most important thing in it. So that leads us perfectly to these eight wonders of life because the number okay, so these are eight ways that people experience awe yeah. and in order. Okay. And the number one way that people experience awe is what he calls moral beauty, which is witnessing other people's courage, kindness, strength, and overcoming. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not about, you know, what you're doing on social media. It's about looking at, seeing other people's kindness and, um, and courage. And I just think that's kind of amazing yeah. that we, that we experience awe through other people. Yeah. But not, through other people in the way that we that they they you want them to follow be your follower yes yeah. <laughs> not about what shade of lipstick you're wearing yeah. or yeah. yeah like yeah that you've gotten so many followers it's literally like courage right yeah. so the second one is collective effervescence which is the idea of uh, rituals and community experiences so this is like. The football, the football, mm. you know, mm -hmm. football game, mm -hmm. being in a football mm -hmm. game, yeah. it's religious ritual, it's dancing at a club, yeah. it's yeah. being at a Beyonce concert, yeah. it's it's just, you know, Brene Brown talks about this a lot, like grieving and celebrating in community would mm. be an ex experience of collective effervescence. Yeah. The third is nature, which yeah. obviously... Fourth is music, which he calls, and I love this definition, transporting people to a new dimension of symbolic meaning and experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
That's huge, right? Visual design, art, architecture, craft, and engineering. Mm -hmm. You know, standing at the base of the of the Empire State Building or the Eiffel Tower, you have a sense of awe. Uh, Six is spiritual and religious stories. So it's it's pretty much down the list. Mm -hmm. But I would say that the first. Five track into that track yeah, into totally great spiritual story or spiritual experience. Um, so spiritual and religious stories, including mystical awe and wonder of life and oneness. Um, last summer we went to St. Thomas and I we were on this like little beach and there was a ton of like turtles. This is definitely nature, but I definitely felt this like idea of oneness. I was uh swimming and all of a sudden Bill was like look over there, look over there, look over there. And I just kind of like looked and there was this huge turtle right in front of me. And I just started like crying in my mask. And it was just crazy. Aww, it was yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. like, oh my God. Like there is nobody here but me and this turtle. Yeah. And like we're the same. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you know, it was, okay, that was my cheesiness. No, I, I dig it. I had a conversation when I was talking about the the listening to the podcast about octopuses this morning. So one yeah. of my coworkers, Abby, she's her and her husband scuba dive, and she was like, I have had up close encounters with octopuses, and it is yeah, you know, pretty pretty wild, yes. pretty wild. Uh, but she was also saying like, you know, go back to the solitude, like that that yes. that the reason they love that so much is because it's the only time that they are actually in mm -hmm. solitude. Yeah. And it's uh, so quiet down yeah. there, right? Yeah. 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 So the uh, seventh one is life and death. The mysteries these experiences hold and mm -hmm. just, you know, and anybody who sat in the bedside or experienced, you know, the death of somebody or or given birth or had, you know, I mean, those times are huge. Um, and then the last one is epiphanies or sudden understandings, which yes, is our jam yes, for totally, sure. Totally. Totally. Right? Oh, wow. I did not think that's how the world worked. And now I totally just, yeah. you know, have a new way of looking at it. I think that's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. you, you know, I thrive on that. I, that, that is a huge part of what I think yeah. gi gives life meaning. And, and I am in awe of the people who are able to dedicate the time to, to do the the research and the thinking to be able to mm -hmm. articulate those things. I'm in awe of the people who are, you know, bold enough and creative enough to, you know, I don't know, take life. And like, you know, you think about somebody like a Charles Darwin, who's mm -hmm. like, I'm, I am out here on a limb and, yep. and I am going to, you know, influence the whole rest of humanity, the future of humanity. But I mean, thinking about, Right, somebody who's like we got real courage, right? Yes. You know, um, th yeah, those are it's cool. Ideas are the best. Yes, <laughs> ideas are the best. Aaron and I are definitely, uh, yeah, in awe of ideas. Um, in in the chapter he does on the evolution of awe or the evolution of in how he talks about Darwin and he talks about William James, you know, the uh, father of psychology yeah. and modern jam, psychology and. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty wonderful what he talks about. And he talks about tears. Uh, he talks about this chapter is called the evolution of the soul tears, chills, and woes. Uh, like what, like, whoa. Right. Mm, um, mm -hmm. and, and the tears, um, are actually are, um, 
our way of connecting to something bigger. Yes. And I just wanted to share like, so in this book, this book is framed by, and he dedicates this book to his younger brother who, who um, died of uh, colorectal cancer. And um, I think that's the kind of cancer he died yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he has this in the, just even in the introduction, he talks about kind of going to his brother, his, you know, his sis- sister-in-law called him and said, you know, this is it, this is the end. And and we were on vacation just a couple weeks ago and we were um, in this place of intense awe. Um, we were at Joshua Tree and we were like experiencing this this massive beauty of nature mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. otherness, vastness. And yet there I was sitting in on the couch, you know, of our Airbnb and I was reading this book and he's describing walking into the room, the hospital room where his brother is dying and his family is around him. And just he has this, the way he describes it is so stunning. He describes his dad is holding on to his brother's foot. And he says that, and I think he just says it like that, my dad was holding my brother's foot. And I just started weeping. Mm -hmm. I just started weeping as I was reading this. And then he, he says in just like minute detail where every member of his family mm-hmm. had their hand on his brother's body. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, that's it. Like, like it was it wasn't poetry. It wasn't it wasn't something that was gonna change my life in terms of like giving me some great insight into death. Mm-hmm. But it was just this incredibly specific it was it was the particular that led me to the universal awe of what it meant to die, yeah, and what it meant to sit with somebody in 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 intense grief, yeah. and it was just it was an astounding yeah. piece of writing, yeah. Um, and so I I felt like I experienced the beauty of awe just in in reading his description of that, yeah. um. So I wanted to share that with you and with people who are listening just to encourage them to read the book, but also that that awe can be just simple and found in the, yep. in the everyday beauty of like life and death and sharing a meal mm-hmm. and and hugging a friend and being in presence, just being in presence with people without distraction that's, is, that's, is that's it. Worthy of awe. Yeah. I think I think that is that is well said and I think that is the perfect place to to end this episode. Yeah. Atheist is produced by Justin Sywell and Trend Media Productions. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us on this project. Be sure to subscribe to the Atheist Podcast found on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to give us a rating or a comment and share this episode with others. We really appreciate you help us growing our show. On our next episode, we will host the Professor Belden Lane from St. Louis University who will talk to us about the concept of awe and theology. Thank you for listening. 
and keep looking for connection.